Okay, welcome back after the break. I hope you've had a good break. Um, if you look at the sort of schedule for the day, there's two bits which involve me, uh, and they run straight after each other. So I'm going to do, in a sense, the notices bit first to allow people to come back and then go straight into the talk. Um, how many of you listen to Premier Radio? Right. How, mo how many of you heard about today on Premier Radio? A reasonable number. Okay. I've worked for Premier now for 20 years. I, when I said that to someone last night, they said, oh, so what did you start at Premier to do? I said, basically the same job I do now. I've been there 20 years, and I'm still responsible for Premier Lifeline, which is what I joined it for. Premier Lifeline is the confidential telephone helpline for Premier Radio and beyond. It's the National Christian Helpline. Imagine the Samaritans, but the Samaritans is actually faith neutral. So have the Samaritans, but add into it the Christian faith, where you can talk about your faith. Add into that the ability to be prayed for. Add into that all the bits which relate to it being attached to radio stations. Premier's got three radio stations. It's got two magazines. And so anything that's broadcast on the radio might trigger a response in people's lives. And they might want to talk about it. In the same way that listening to the BBC or ITV, you hear something, you see something, and you'll get a message saying, if this has affected you, go to this place. Now, with Premier and all that Premier does, Lifeline is the place to go to. And so what we are is very much a confidential listening line, someone to talk to, a listening ear, offering emotional and spiritual support from an overtly Christian perspective. So if you haven't heard about Lifeline today, before today, do go and have a look at the stand. We've got small cards, we've got bookmarks. On the bookmarks, we've also got information about three radio stations, and also Christianity Magazine. And if you haven't seen Christianity Magazine before, there's a phone number where you can ask for your free copy of Christianity Magazine. Um, there were magazines on there called A Called, and they just happened to have an article written by me on forgiveness. I suspect by now most of those have disappeared because there was a limited stock. So for you who've got them, you've probably got in quick. Because uh, I'm not sure if there are any left. Or the last time I saw, I think there were about two or three. Um, there's information on there about the Christian Helplines Association. Because Premier Lifeline is just one of a number of Christian helplines in the UK. But also there's information about Christian Healing UK, which is the umbrella body for the healing ministries within the UK. And they include a whole range of different healing ministries. The healing ministry here at Central Hall is part of it. Lifeline is part of it. Christian Healing Mission is part of it. As are a whole host of others that would take too long to go through. So if you haven't been to our stand, I know some of you have, go and meet up the with the people there. If you haven't listened to Premier, you've got an opportunity after today to actually take some information away and listen to it. I say Premier, but there are three stations. Premier Christian Radio, which is a mixture of talk and music. Premier Praise, which is predominantly praise music 
and premier gospel, which is very much gospel music in its whole range, its mix. So it's probably something for most people there. So anyway, that's the background to Premier and the work we do. And we've partnered Central Hall with the healing conferences now for actually so many years. I can't remember when we started. I think the only person in the building that probably um, might remember is Malcolm White, who used to head up the... Yes, I know. Who used to head up the ministry here. And it was with Malcolm that we first started partnering with these. Anyway, so that's the background to Premier. So hopefully that's given you a chance to come back in and settle. Um, and so what we're going to do now is move on to the second talk. Before I do anything else, I'm going to pray. So let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that we have come here today to meet with you. We've come to hear about you, your purposes, and your call on our lives. Lord, continue to move through the power of your Holy Spirit in this place. We want you to be at the centre of all that we think and say and do. And we want to meet with you. And for you to touch our lives and continue that transformation process that you have begun. For Lord, we come in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so far, Peter has shared with us about healing from a physical perspective. Although I must admit, I was sitting there thinking, Peter, how much more are you going to talk about the mind and mental health and all those bits? What you don't know is that actually I've seen his script beforehand. <laughs> So I had some idea about what he was going to talk about. But actually, the bit I'm talking about isn't the body, which you've, in theory, already heard Peter talk about, but actually something different. A lot of what's been mentioned so far is the mind. People have talked about heart. When we, at one point, discussed today, we talked about the soul. So there's a, so a number of different words that people use. What we are looking at in this session is this. Not the bit which I see when I look at each of you, as in your body, but the bit that is inside. The bit which might shine out through or be reflected in the body, and in a sense that's picking up what Peter's saying, is that actually what's on the inside comes and shows itself on the outside. And that's why we are in an integrated whole being. And actually what happens on the inside affects the outside, just as much as what happens on the outside affects the inside. You know, if you have an accident, you go to the hospital and you get treated for the accident, whatever the accident may be. What they don't tend to do is to treat the trauma that's affected you on the inside from that, where actually that's going to have as much of a lasting potential damage as the injury to your bones. But actually, on the other hand, there are a whole range of conditions where we do present to doctors, hospitals, wherever, or just suffer in silence, where actually our bodies are showing something being wrong, but it's actually coming up from within. So what I'm going to be talking about now 
is about what's on the inside. That stuff which you can't quite see, but you know it's there. You might get the glimmer of what's on the inside when you look at someone and you look at their eyes and you see whether there's hope or sadness, joy or depression. Or when you look at the face and you just know just by looking at or, or how they stand or how they sit or how the sorts of things which do get reflected but actually are somewhere deep down. So what we want to do now is to get to, dare I say, the heart of the matter, the inner you, considering the self, the personality. Some people might talk about the psyche, the soul, the character of you, the inner you. That's what I want to think about now. The bit underneath the skin. And in one sense, it's the real you. The you which actually reflects something about the integrity that you have. The, the you that God sees. Dare I say, what I'm talking about in this bit isn't the bit that you want to portray but actually the bit that tends to come out when something goes wrong. Just think about it. If you let down your guard and something happens, what is your response? When you're under threat, is there a change in how you react? You're, you, know, you might be this normal, smiley, composed self and someone comes up and threatens you, what's the first thing that will happen? Yes, well, I won't ask you individually. <laughs> but uh, actually, it, there is this thing actually, when, yeah, once you scratch a bit beneath the surface, maybe. Maybe when health issues, whether mental health or physical health issues, reduce your... Um, inhibitions and your ability to control yourself. Sometimes people do get disinhibited. And actually, some of the things that they come out with and say and do actually are different to what you would expect. Maybe at times, just at times, it's reflecting the person underneath, the stuff that they have buried for years. Um, how many of you get angry? Don't, it's a rhetorical question, don't worry. Don't, you don't have to put your hands up. How many of you get angry? When you get angry, you think, do or say things, which maybe, just maybe, you might regret. It's that person that we are thinking about in this session. It's quite interesting when I was thinking about this talk. It came to me that we live in a world where increasingly we talk about us being predetermined to be a certain way. What do I mean by that? Well, it's all because of, it's the way I've been born. It's in my genes. It's my personality type. And my background's in mental health, and over the years I've read all sorts of books. And some of those books basically say, you, you look at your personality, 
and see what your personality is. And for all practical purposes, that is who you are. And with certain of the books, it almost implies that the lot has been cast and there's nothing you can do about your personality. Hmm. That doesn't quite fit what I believe the Bible says. And it's one of those times when you start thinking, why is it that increasingly we are talking about, talking about it's in the genes, it's how I've been born, it's my personality type, it's maybe how I've developed. Not wanting to tread on any people's toes, or maybe corns on people's toes, um, it's the result of my childhood. The breaking up of my parents, this experience or that experience. We tend to be very much caught up in trying to explain what's on the inside, why it's on the inside, but actually not necessarily looking at God to deal with what shouldn't be there. Um, others will say, here I am. I believe God has made me as me. And so what is here is God-given, so I shouldn't change. Unless, and I don't know how many of you have ever heard that, but I've heard that a good few times. It's about all sorts of things. And it almost like it's justifying people's behavior, anger, all sorts of things. I've known people justify adultery because of it. That's because of how I am made. And this is going to be probably the first. I'm going to give you a quote. And anyone that knows me will smile because it's a quote by a songwriter. And it's a songwriter called Adj Cutler. Adj Cutler sadly died many years ago. And he comes from the area where we now live in Somerset. And he was the songwriter lead, leader of a band called the Wurzels. Yes. So this will be the first time I've ever known the Wurzels quoted in a Christian healing conference. So why am I going to quote it? Because Adj wrote this song, and I thought it was quite an interesting one. It's a song entitled, Don't Tell I, Tell He. Okay? Don't tell I, tell he. And one of the verses is about a vicar telling someone off about their behavior. And to quote it, now vicar, you'll agree, the Lord created me. And I'm afraid that's how I'm made. So don't tell I, tell he. Hmm. What is wrong with the theology of that? Think about it. But actually, how much of our lives do we almost slip into that sense of, I can't help doing this. This is who I am. This is what I'm struggling with. Of course, this doesn't apply to you, does it? Or does it? But is it? an explanation, or is there more to it? Why, if God made us, do we have such problems in how we think, how we feel, and how we behave? The Bible says that we're made in the image of God. 
And I truly and utterly believe that when God created humankind, he created us as perfect in his image, and that was totally planned and designed. So if that is the case, why is there so many problems within our lives, within our relationships, in how we feel, how we relate, how we deal with life? What is it that we're having to deal with? And that's because we are not as God designed in the first place. Every single one of us here did not need to be taught how to do things wrong. Someone I've known for decades and decades would basically be saying something along the lines of, how many people have you ever known parents say to their children, come on, little Johnny, I need you to learn how to sin. I need you to learn how to be naughty. You must, must, must learn how to be naughty. Have you ever known any parents get to that point where they get so frustrated with the perfection of their child? (laughs) I wish. (laughs) You can have compliant children. You can have well-behaved children. But inherently, we are all born with sin innately there. And it only takes time before it shows itself. It's because that we inherit it. Not just from our parents, but from the generations going back. That really does not relate well to modern societal thinking. Inherently, if you look around, a lot of what is said and done The assumption is that human beings are innately good, and if you have societies created in certain ways, they will be wonderful societies. You know, communism is based, or was based on that sort of theory, socialism, communism. I don't want to get into politics here, but you had an experiment in communism, Russia, Eastern Europe, China, etc. What happens? If human beings are inherently good and people are wanting to work together and there'll be community and everyone's going to be looking to the interests of others, you'd end up with a very good society. Instead, what happens? You have people looking for self-interest. You have control. You have authoritarian control. You have the elites. You have all sorts of things happen. You have mass extermination, as happened in numerous countries. We are inherently sinful. And so when we think about the needs that we have, we have to start off on the basis that Human beings are a fallen race. And there is a need for someone to come and do something about it. And most of the people in this room, I would guess, 
already absolutely believe that the person who came to do that was Jesus, and that there was a need that we would have salvation, forgiveness, cleansing. If you look at a lot of the passages in the Bible, the words used for salvation could be seen as being transferable to be healing or vice versa. And in a sense, the bottom line is that as human beings, we need restoration with God. So what's this got to do with today and healing? Well, think about it in this way. We are made in the image of God. And when God created Adam and Eve, and I don't want to get into any debate about how you see that story, but let's just see that as being a starting point. God created them to be safe, secure, to know who they were, to have a relationship with him which was so close and intimate that they knew that he would come into the garden, that he would walk with them, that he would talk with them, that he cared about them. You are looking at everything that human beings needed being met in that relationship. He had provided for them. They needed nothing. They knew who they were. They knew what they were doing because actually God had called them to look after the earth, to name the animals, etc. They had a purpose. They had a role. They knew that they were loved and accepted. And that is what we are designed for. That is what God built into every one of us. That sense of needing security, feeling that we have a meaning, a purpose, worth. And yet, that isn't what we have now. Why? Because we believe that Satan came in and he tempted. He tempted Eve, who took and ate, and Adam took and ate, and the fall occurred. That turned upside down their ability to have the sense of who they were, what was provided for them. It turned upside down their relationship with God. God hadn't changed. God's love for them hadn't changed. But the closeness with God had changed because sin had come as a barrier, a divide. They had been seduced into it. Desire for what looked good. It cast doubt in what they believed. God had said, don't. God had said, it's not good. They had doubts. They questioned. They took. They doubted what God had said. They doubted the goodness of God. They doubted what God was providing for them. But by doing so... They were trapped. And Satan knew that he needed just to get them to turn their back on God. 
to seek to meet their own need, to take responsibility for themselves, to do something independent of the God who loved and cared for them. Actually, that isn't just something in a story of something that happened many years ago. I guarantee there are people in this room today where if you look at your life in the last few weeks, few months, over the years, Satan has brought a temptation to you. He's dangled a carrot saying, look, there is something here which is attractive. God isn't providing you with a partner fast enough. Go and find one yourself and do this. Or it's not fair that God says this. You, you, you don't need to deprive yourself, do you? I don't think the person's here, but one of the most bizarre um, examples of this was a person who I had contact with who was jealous of a, in quotes, famous Christian who was having a fling with a very famous um, female pin-up who was renowned for nude pictures. And the, the person wrote in saying, if so-and-so can do that, why can't I? The temptation was clearly being dangled. Don't keep yourself pure because someone else is doing it, so why can't you? Um, but it also applies to people with drugs, you know, alcohol and all sorts of things. To quote another friend of ours, or a friend of ours who is a, a singer, um, in his song about drug use, he says, they don't see the trap, all they see is the cheese. They don't see the trap, all they see is the cheese. That comes from a song performed by Howden Jones. And they know that I use it in talks. But the fact is this. Satan will dangle stuff. He will dangle the thing that's going to attract you. Whatever that might be. And he will try to trap. The attractiveness of it may well be fleeting, but the temptation, once it's succumbed to, traps you in. So what's happened over the years? What happens in you and me to bring it really home? Inherently, unless we rely heavily on God, we will have that feeling that we have to meet our own needs. I am responsible. It's my responsibility to meet my need. It is my responsibility to deal with how I'm feeling. It's my responsibility to future-proof, as if we can. Um, many years ago now, a few years ago anyway, 
I was asked to write an article about worry um, and to do a talk about worry. And I thought to myself, worry, I've never really thought about it in any real depth. And then I started looking and researching. But the more I looked into it, the more I realized how much of a worrier I am, in inherently, yes, yeah, the real me, is quite a worrier, or was. But then, that's in complete conflict to the Bible, isn't it? The Bible says, do not worry. So if the Bible says, do not worry, because that's what Jesus said, and I am someone who says I'm following Jesus, but I do worry, what is it that is making me worry? Part of it is this, that I believe that I have power and control over my life, and that there's something about my responsibility for myself that means that I am thinking all the time about what I should or shouldn't be doing, how I should or shouldn't be reacting, what might or might not happen, what I need to put in place in case it does happen. And yet, over the years, people have learned that all the things that we're tempted to worry about tend to be things which, generally speaking, something like 90% of them are either not worth worrying about or don't come to fruition, or if you look back, you see them in a different perspective. And there's something called a worry box. Has anyone ever tried to use a worry box? Let me just briefly say about what a worry box is. If you're tempted with worry, and you've got all these things you're worrying about, rather than spending your time worrying about it, what you do is you write down on a piece of paper the thing you're worried about, and you put it into the box. And the next thing you worry about, you put into the box. The next thing you worry about, you put into the box. And then once a week, at an allotted time, you go back to the box and open it up and look at these things. And generally speaking, most of the time, you'll look at it thinking, why did I ever worry about that in the first place? The only things that might still be there, maybe, are the things that maybe you could actually do something about, perhaps. But when you look at the things we worry about, most of it is stuff we can't change, and if we can't change it, why worry about it? A lot of it is stuff that won't happen or might happen, and we have no idea whether it's going to happen. And if we've got no control over the future, generally speaking, at least I haven't, apart, apart from prayer, what's the point of worrying about it? So what's left? Sometimes there's stuff which is basically saying, yeah, it's something which is real. It's something I can do something about. And perhaps that's the one thing that we need to put our efforts into to actually deal with the stuff we can deal with. But more importantly, what I believe God says is that we should take to him the stuff that we would be worrying about and trust him with it. And I think the subject worry is simply indicative of the classic thing about human beings. 
it's always said that Christians are brilliant about trusting God with eternity, but not necessarily trusting him about tomorrow or next week. <laughs> yeah? That may ring true to a few people. Or the classic one for me, the classic one for me was God calling me to do something and my thinking, okay, so how am I going to support the family? Where's the money coming from? Where's this coming from? Because I felt the responsibility. But actually, if God's calling you to do something, of course he's not going to tell you to be completely rash and unreal, but actually if he's calling you to do something, he will provide. So the question then is, how much trust and faith do we have in him? How big is the God that we believe in? And part of the problems we struggle with is that even as Christians, we often don't quite get into that sense of who God really is, what he is capable of, and what he actually wants us to be in our lives. When you look at the world around you, even if you've been a Christian many years, I guarantee part of the thing you'll be looking at the world around you from is a perspective which you have developed over your lifetime. I'm not going to try to work out who's the oldest person in the room. Thankfully, it's not me. Um, but each of us represents a whole range of stuff that's happened to us. Who you are is the accumulation of everything that's happened to you in every way. And I could spend hours going into this in depth, but I won't. But each of you, who you are, what makes you you, how you respond to stuff, how you perceive the world around you, how you react to the world around you, the feelings that are triggered by things that happen to you, all of this is based on the experiences you've had what you've learned, how you've learned to cope, the coping mechanisms, the ways you've found to deal with the situations you've been in, the need to find comfort, the need to find safety or security. And that may well be being triggered in the past by stuff which is horrendous, nasty, and all sorts of stuff that's happened. But that's made you you. And we can't deny what has happened to us. We can't deny that some of us are still suffering under those pangs of what has happened in the past. I've been a Christian for decades. I won't say how many, but quite a lot. And yet, at times things are triggered within me which makes me react to the world around me, not in the way that God would want me to, but actually because of hurt or pain or experience. I'll go into defense mode. I'll go into protection mode. I'll go into self-comfort mode. I know I shouldn't. 
but there's something I struggle with. Why? Because we've got memories, a memory file, the store of what's happened in the past. We've created perception filters. You know, I've just had someone taking photographs of me. You know, in the old days, you had cameras where you had proper filters, which you put on. If you put a filter on, you could actually change the color. Could change it. Nowadays, it's all done electronically. But actually, some of us have those filters in how we perceive the world. Even if someone is being nice to you, it's actually hard to receive it. Why? Because you've learned that when someone's nice to you, they've got a different agenda. Now, actually trying to, yeah, do you see what I mean? Or the filter you have is put in place because of this purpose or that purpose. And in different circumstances, maybe you'll have different filters. We'll have beliefs, core beliefs about who you are, about your capability. I shouldn't be here. My mum, and this isn't me, but this is someone I know really well. Someone said to me, you do realise I shouldn't be here. No, I've never heard that before from this person, who I've known since whenever. You do realise I was told I shouldn't be here. Who by? By their mother. You shouldn't be here. Why? Because you're an accident. You weren't planned. We weren't planning another child. How do you think that leaves the person feeling? A few of you here might know what I mean. Others will be, you do realise, I shouldn't be a girl, or I shouldn't be a boy. Why? Because my parents said, I was meant to be. I was meant to be? By whose calling? At times, there's lots of different things which impact us. And we believe it. You will never achieve in life. How many people have been told that by parents, teachers? You should never speak in a church again because that's not your calling. Hmm, that's interesting. Dare I say that was said to me? Which is really interesting, seeing that I have spent most of my life spending my time travelling around, speaking and sharing. You may agree with them by the end of the session. <laughs> it's always dangerous to say it, but it's really interesting what people do say and how off the cuff what they say is and how powerful words can be and we believe them and we put them into our memory file and we put them into the things that we truly believe about ourselves or things that we believe about others as well. You mustn't go anywhere near a man because they're dangerous. Yeah, you know, you know, all of those things. So, really what I'm saying, 
I think we have to admit this. None of us here are the person that God originally would have designed you to be. Because the original design for you would have been without sin or the impact of sin on your life. It would have been without any of the stuff which we have inherited in any way, shape or form, which has adversely affected us, that has affected us over our lives, whether generationally or in our growing up or in our adult lives. All of those things have affected us. But God says to you and to me, whoever you are, whatever you have been through, whatever your genetics, whatever personality type you may or may not be, whatever cultural, class, educational background you've had, whatever anything else human beings might start looking at or classifying you by, God says, I know you. And you, and you, and you, and you. I won't keep going because I take forever to say there's about 400 and something people here. How God does that, I have no idea. I really have no idea how God is capable of understanding and knowing all about us. But I truly believe that God says, I know you. I know all that you've been through. I know the good, the bad, the ugly. I know the things you've done for me, but I also know the stuff you haven't done. I know the stuff I called you to do 20 years ago and you still haven't done it. And I know the stuff that I didn't call you to do, which you think you're doing for me, which isn't for me. And I wish you'd stop. (laughs) But God actually knows you. And there's nothing you can ever hide from him because he already knows you. And he says, I know exactly where you're at today. I know what ministry you've had. I know what you've been through. I know when you came to faith. I know what you're struggling about, your doubts maybe. I know the things which keep hold of you and you keep doing and you wish you didn't. I also know the anger you've got deep down inside, that stuff which you've buried and you're spending all your time keeping down in such a way that it's exhausting you. I know the people that you are holding grudges against. Yeah, you may have a good reason to hold a grudge against them because of something they did, but actually, God says, by holding that grudge, it's harming you. So God says, I know you. I know where you're at. I also know where I want to take you. And there is hope. There is transformation. There's renewal. There is restoration. And he says, whatever you've gone through, whatever you've missed out on, 
I want to bring healing and wholeness. I want to restore to you the stuff that has been deprived from you. To restore to you what the locusts have eaten. The locusts being all sorts of different things, but inherently what Satan has done to affect you and where you should be and what your life should have been. I want to make you the best that you can be beginning from this day forward. But when it comes to dealing with the inner person, if you are, for example, 50 years old, and it's taken 50 years to get you to this point, sometimes he'll do that straight away. But the God I know is actually an incredibly compassionate God. And at times, he will take us at the pace that we need. He'll take us step by step. And he'll work in us. And at times, I've gone for prayer, for ministry. And I've gone with an expectation saying, this is the issue I've come with. God, I want you to do this. And I've come away thinking, that's not what he's done. Because whilst I've been being ministered to, he said, Jonathan, that's not how I see you. I'm not looking at you from a human perspective. I'm not looking at your body. I'm looking at your heart. And I'm seeing what you're ready to deal with. And from my perspective, this is the bit I want to touch. I might be saying, help. That's not what I want to deal with. Or alternatively, ah, I didn't know there was a problem there. Or anything in between. But what is he really saying is this. I know you. I love you. I want to work in your life. I want to take you by the hand and help you do that next step. So how do we do that? First of all, I'd say you need to be realistic of who he is. We do live in a world where God and who he is is undermined in so many ways. God is God, and I believe he is more than capable of doing miracles today. But I also believe, and this is what I believe, that he's also more than capable of creating the world in which we live and everything within it, the birds, the animals, the flowers, the sunsets. And when I see creation, I see something of God in creation. It, how big is your God? How big is the God you believe in? Because the more you see God as who he is, the more we are willing to trust ourselves to him. Secondly, do you know where you fit within God? What do I mean by that? Who are you in God? God loves you, he cares for you, you are special. Do you believe it? 
Do you honestly believe that to God you are unique, you are special, you are chosen, that Jesus died for you, and that you have the right to go before the Lord God Almighty into his throne room, not as a servant, not as a, a, an employee, but as a child. And when he sees you come into his throne room, when he sees you come into his presence, he rejoices over you. Do you believe this? Because actually, when we realize who God is and who we are in him, through Jesus, his son, our saviour, it helps us build that faith and trust in him. But then comes the bit about us. Are we willing to give up stuff? To say sorry for the stuff we've done wrong? To recognise that we've taken responsibility for ourselves when we shouldn't? To recognise that we have gone against him, rebelled, sinned. What is our willingness to respond and come before him? More than that, what is our response to the people who have done stuff against us? Are we willing to let go and release them? Are we carrying burdens that we need to put down? Are we carrying burdens that we need to put down? There's a lot of us who carry stuff around with us, and it tires us. But God says, you don't need to do that. Jesus came to take that on, to deal with that. The problem is often we hear a message like this, and we go to the cross, and we lay the burden at the foot of the cross. We are called to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God. To quote someone else I know, the problem with living sacrifices is actually they don't stay there, they get up again. And the problem with laying stuff down at the cross is often we sneakily go back, pick it up, and continue. Partly because it's habit. That's what we know. We're in our comfort zone. But God says, now I want you to do something to change. I want you to truly give it to me. He says, I want you to put me in charge of all that you are your thinking, your behaviours, your choices, your lives. And some of those things are really tough. Some of those things are really tough. God, I will happily give you this bit of my life, but don't touch that bit. <laughs> or if you think about the image of a house, you've got certain rooms, which are the nice ones, which 
you're happy for him to go into. You know, the ones which you'd show the public. You know, the, the guest who comes to the door, you open them and you show them the best room or rooms. But you don't show them the attic room where you put all the stuff you don't want anyone. The place which things are done in secret. God says, I want you to help me clean out your room, your life. With my help, I will do that. So that all of your life is presentable. So that you are ready to be the person I want you to be. To be set free. The question then is, is that where we are? Where are you before God? I'm going to pray for you. I want you to think. And in just a couple of moments, a minute or so before I do the prayer, I just want you to sit quietly and listen to God and ask him, Lord, what are you saying to me? What do I need to bring before you now? What is the next step you have for my life today? And I guarantee that will be different for each person here. You may have been a Christian 60 years, and yet God wants to take you the next step. On the other hand, you may be completely new. And what God wants with you will be different. So I'll give you a time of silence. Talk to God. Ask him to show you what he has for you today. Lord, we thank you that you are God. You are the Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, the source and sustainer of life. You are eternal, and for you there is no end. Lord God, we come before you today and we bring ourselves to you. Lord, we thank you that you welcome us. You want to know us. You rejoice in hearing from us that we are your children. Lord, as we come to you, we bring our lives. Where there are things which we have done wrong, we bring them to you. 
But the things which we're still doing wrong, we bring them to you. And Lord, we lay them before you. And Lord, we ask that you will help us to leave them with you, to turn away from the sin and to put our trust in you. Lord God, we choose to put ourselves in your charge. We confess that we have taken responsibility for ourselves. We've actually looked to to be the ones in charge, either as a whole or in part of our lives. But today, we choose to put you in charge of every bit, including the bits we struggle with, including those bits which we desperately are trying to avoid thinking of now. We put you in charge. And Lord, where there is stuff that's holding us back, we ask for your help to let go of it. But we know that we need to choose to do that. To put it down, to leave it, so that we actually are free to walk upright and strong in you. And Lord, if there are things which we are holding others accountable to, Lord, help us to set them free, to release them. Lord, you know us. You know our needs. And in the name of Jesus, I ask for the Holy Spirit to come in now to meet with each person in this room, to fill this room with the power that can only come from you to touch us deep down inside, to bring that restoration, that healing power, to have that warmth of assurance that you're there, that you love us. But more than that, that burning fire to to deal with that stuff that is within us that we need to deal with. But to give us that confidence that you're God and you're safe and you want us to reach out our hand to you from this day forward. For Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name, our Lord and Saviour. Amen.